Nearly 100,000 Americans are clinging to life at this very moment, and their only chance for survival is someone else's generosity. Good morning, I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. On this morning's show, we're focusing our attention on organ donation. Earlier this week, New Jersey became the first state in the nation to require people getting driver's licenses to state whether they want to be organ donors. The new law also requires high schools in the Garden State to teach students about organ donation starting in the 2009-2010 school year. The very first organ transplant was performed in 1954 in Boston. Doctors transplanted a kidney from one twin brother to the other. In the years since, hundreds of thousands of Americans have received new organs, including kidneys, hearts, lungs, livers, and more. In this next half hour, we'll hear about efforts to increase organ donations in the Bronx and meet people who've been personally affected by organ donation. Glad you're with us. In his long career as a pediatrician, Dr. John Bancroft has treated thousands of children. But the story of one young girl whom he treated more than a decade ago has stayed with him. The girl's condition was dire, a sudden onset of liver failure, and her family's hopes hinged on an organ transplant. But a donor for the girl could not be found before her condition had advanced too far for intervention. Upon her death, the girl's family asked that their daughter's organs, her kidneys and pancreas, be offered for donation so that others could have an improved chance at life. As Dr. Bancroft told his own daughter, Carolyn, in New York, it was the gift of life as much as his patient's death that has stuck with him. A little girl had come to the hospital with uh, the sudden onset of liver failure. She was sitting on her mother's lap at a high school football game when her mother noticed that her eyes were yellow, and she was acting a little tired. By the time we brought her into the hospital, it was pretty clear that her liver was failing and was not likely to recover. And we began very quickly the process of listing her for possible transplant. Seven, eight, nine days went by and there wasn't a donor available. On the 10th day, when we thought we had a lead on a donor, she had a sudden worsening. And even as we were trying to make the decision whether we could go ahead with a transplant, her brain function changed to the point where it was clear we couldn't. There was little chance that she was going to recover. So after working with that family every day for 10 days, just taking each, really each hour, as it came. I had to talk with them about the fact that we couldn't go ahead. And as we gathered around her bed, her parents spontaneously turned to us and said, was there any chance that her organs could help another? And as it turned out, they could. And they wound up donating her kidneys, her pancreas, her corneas, and Later, I saw a photo of all the recipients, and uh, it was one of the most moving photos I've ever seen. Here was a family that was desperately waiting for a transplant, and they wound up turning around and giving at a time when no one would have expected it, and wound up touching a number of individuals and really giving them a new chance life. That's one of my more memorable days. And I don't think I had much to do with it. <laughs> I always wonder how you move through all of these 
patience and the success stories and then the losses and somehow there seems to be hope yeah i think there is children have such a resilience and bounce back and heal in ways that always amaze me and it certainly does hurt uh, when uh, children don't heal or when they die i hope those never stop hurting uh, but to have one of them turn around and give you a hug around the leg or just smile can really change a day. Dr. John Bancroft talking with his daughter Carolyn in New York about his personal experiences with organ donation. Every day, some 18 people die in the United States because organs aren't available for transplant. Here in the Bronx, a man by the name of Leo Trevino is doing what he can to change that. Trevino heads the Organ and Tissue Donation Initiative at Montefiore Medical Center. One of the things that I was doing this morning was uh, providing an in-service to our new employees about the need for organ and tissue donation. Our commitment is not only to promote donation among employees, or out in the community, but also among our healthcare employees. The beauty of organ donation is that out of death, life can sprout. And that concept is so difficult to understand because once you're dead, you're dead. But the beauty of organ donation, it's that it brings forth life. And I think when you share that with a grieving family, that their loved one will not die in vain, that their loved one can go on living, that their loved one can pass on life to someone else. It's really touching and inspiring for a family to really consider organ and tissue donation. Let me play devil's advocate here for a moment because there are people who are concerned that if they fill out that organ donor card, they won't get the care that they deserve when they go to a hospital, that they're more disposable, so to speak. It's a misconception. Uh, It's a common concern out in the community, especially here in the Bronx, that uh, if I sign my donor card, if I sign on to the New York State Organ and Tissue Donor Registry, and if I'm involved in some accident and I'm at Montefiore Medical or at some other hospital in the emergency room and they know that I have a signed donor card, uh, they're going to let me die. And, and that is not true. It's not true because, A, hospitals, uh, their responsibility is to try to save your life. In addition to that, hospitals don't determine who becomes an organ or tissue donor. Hospitals don't make a decision as to who will receive that organ or tissue for transplantation. That is a responsibility of an outside agency, our local organ procurement organization, that's responsible for evaluating who's uh, medically suitable and who will receive that organ or tissue for transplant. Our responsibility as an institution is to refer anyone that might be a potential organ and tissue donor. What are some of the other misconceptions surrounding organ donation? Misconceptions uh, not only out in the community but also among healthcare professionals is that organ and tissue donation is really mutilation or disfigurement of the body. And nothing can be farther from the truth. That is not so. Organ and tissue donation recovery is a surgical procedure. It's done in an operating room. It's done with uttermost respect for the body. And in fact, if a donor family wishes to have an open casket funeral arrangements done, it can be so. Because again, the body is treated with utmost respect. There are some people out there who feel that they just want to be buried with all of their parts intact. That is so true, absolutely. I believe that the message at Montefiore Medical Center is to promote awareness Uh, The message at Montefiore Medical Center is to promote this life-saving message. It's really an altruistic, humanitarian, 
uh, act that's done with generosity. For those who don't want to be, don't want to register, we, we respect their decision and um, we leave it there. Where does the Bronx stand as far as organ donation rates are concerned? We can do much better here uh, in the Bronx. Montefiore Medical Center understands that. They understand the need for promoting donation to increase our organ donation rates, not only here at the hospital, but throughout our sister hospitals here in the Bronx. Last year alone, we had, um, we had over 50 organ tissue donors right here in the Bronx. Uh, of which we were able to recover over 100 organs for transplantation. So for those who say that nothing good comes out of the Bronx, well, last year we had over 100 organs that were recovered for transplantation, went on to give life to 100 patients, and that's beautiful. Uh, At Montefiore Medical Center, we had nine organ donors last year, of which we were able to recover 15 organs for transplantation, and that gave life to 15 patients. Studies have shown that organ donation is typically lower in minority neighborhoods. Do you find that here in the Bronx? That is true, uh, not only here in the Bronx, but throughout the country. However, we're slowly seeing an increase in donation rates among the Afro-American community and also among the Latino community. In fact, our highest consent group uh, in the Bronx is the Latino community. Why do you think that organ donation is something that minorities have been less likely to get involved with? I think for many reasons. A, uh, we have to look, uh, the Bronx has a large immigrant population. Uh, Most of these individuals, they come from countries where organ donation is voodoo or it's a taboo, it's not practice. Uh, They have misconceptions about organ donation. Until they come here, they're educated about the beauty of saving lives through organ donation and they have a change of heart. I believe that another reason, and again, it's a misconception, that only wealthy celebrity status individuals receive organs and tissues for transplantation. So people are afraid that their organs will not go to people in their community. That is absolutely true. However, um, the process does not work like that. The process is uh, based on urgency for the transplant. It's based on height and blood type of the uh, potential donor. It's not based on economic status, uh, national, national, nationality status, or what have you. Some people are also concerned that organ donation goes against their religious beliefs. Do certain religions say that organ donation is a bad thing? In the United States of America, all major religions have endorsed organ and tissue donation if it's to save lives. And I think that's important for our community in the Bronx to understand. We have such a a diversified uh, faith-based community in the Bronx that um, uh, when they hear that message and they're they're giving the references where their own clergy people promote organ and tissue donation as a life-saving mechanism, they're truly behind it. Uh, But if it's uh, donating organs for any other purpose other than transplantation to give life, then uh, most religions do not support organ donation on those bases. If someone wants to donate their organs, what steps should they take to make sure that their wishes are respected? First and and most important is share your decision with your family. One of the major reasons why so many families say no to organ donation is simply because their loved one really never talked about becoming an organ and tissue donor. Share your decision with your family. Secondly, 
there is here in New York State, the New York State Organ and Tissue Donor Registry, where individuals can make their wishes known to become an organ and tissue donor. They go on to a, a confidential database that's administered by the health department here in New York State where people can make their wishes known. If you go to the motor vehicle department, uh, when you renew your license, you could always indicate that you want to be an organ and tissue donor. There are many ways, but the most important is share your decision with your family. Have you ever encountered situations where families didn't know and there was a fight at the hospital and those organs simply went to waste? There has been some, some uh, feuding, if you will, among family members. Uh, I've had situations where some family members of a potential organ donor are saying, absolutely, yes, we want our loved one to pass on life to someone else through organ and tissue donation. And then you have other family members who are totally against, for whatever personal misconception reason, are totally against organ and tissue donation. We would never proceed with organ and tissue donation if we know it's going to divide or create a feud among a potential donor family. Is there an age restriction for people to donate their organs? Absolutely not. We're all potential organ and tissue donors until otherwise told. Uh, I can tell you that, uh, again, based on uh, my conversations with the local organ procurement organization, the New York Organ Donor Network, they've recovered uh, livers from 85-year-old patients that become organ donors. So no one's a medical rule out. No age is a barrier to organ donation. That is really determined by the uh, organ procurement organization that evaluates for suitability of uh, donation of organs. How many organs are actually inside our bodies that we can donate? I would imagine quite a few. I talk about the power of one donor. Just one individual that becomes an organ and tissue donor has the power, A, to save eight lives through our eight major organs, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, the lungs, the pancreas, the small bowel. All these eight organs can save eight lives. Along with that, we all have the potential to, to help up to 50 people with tissue donation. And tissue includes cornea donation, bone donation, skin donation, heart for valve donation. Is it harder to find transplants for children? I don't think so. Uh, I would tell you that in terms of organ donation among parents donating organs uh, from their children, our consent rate is, is astronomical. It is amazing how many parents go on to donate the organs of their children. But all children who go on to the transplant list, uh, currently uh, there's over 100,000 patients throughout the country who are on the national waiting list. It's believed that a good 2,000, 3,000 of those are children from the ages of zero to, you know, up to uh, 17 who are waiting for a transplant. Everyone has equitable, everyone's equal rights. Anyone who must go on the transplant list will go on the transplant list. What kind of work do you do with the person who is actually getting the transplant? I'm sure that can be a very scary experience. Every potential transplant recipient goes through a psychiatric evaluation to determine uh, that they are ready mentally and physically uh, for a, an organ transplant. Along with that, uh, we have our social work transplant uh, workers who work very closely with every potential recipient, our transplant surgeons who guide uh, potential recipient families about the urgency and the need uh, to really be ready to receive that uh, organ transplant because it's, this is once in a lifetime uh, because, again, the demand for life-saving organs far outstrips the supply. We just don't have enough organs. 
And I'm hoping that through this interview, uh, through this presentation, we can certainly promote organ and tissue donation out in the community. Tell me about all the kinds of outreach that you do here in the Bronx. The uh, faith-based community, churches, synagogues, have all have been open uh, to knowing more about organ and tissue donation, schools and colleges as well. Uh, we are involved in uh, promoting organ and tissue donation among students. How do you approach the issue of organ donation with young people, high schoolers, who have the feeling of invincibility? You know, the best way I've, I, I can share with uh, high school students, uh, even college students, about organ and tissue donation is by sharing with them the importance, the need for organ and tissue donation. Uh, as someone who's been in the field for over 20 years, the generations that precede me are more open to saving lives. Uh, and that's moving, A, because uh, many uh, sports individuals have become organ donors. Many sports figures, uh, well-known individuals, have uh, gone on to receive a transplant. Many uh, people who are well-known have promoted organ and tissue donation. And young people, while they have the spirit of invincibility, uh, part of that invincibility is that if I need to save a life, I can save a life. And the best way to do that is once I'm long gone, just donate my organs and tissues for transplantation. But also it has to do a lot with the type of education that we're providing today about organ and tissue donation. What examples do you bring to the community when you try to present this issue? There are so many cases that have impacted my life that now somewhat get emotional at times because of the impact that donation has in so many families. I can think of one case that we just had here at Montefiore Medical Center uh, not even two weeks ago. This was a young 23-year-old Hispanic female who about 12 years ago received a kidney transplant by one of our transplant physicians here at Montefiore Medical Center. This was nearly about 12 years ago. Unfortunately, about two weeks ago, uh, she was declared brain dead here at Montefiore Medical Center. She had suffered from lupus for many years, and her kidney, her body rejected the transplant kidney because of the lupus. She became brain dead. The New York Organ Donor Network, along with myself, we sat down with a family, a Hispanic Dominican family, and we shared the possibility of organ and tissue donation. The words of the father were, she was giving life at Montefiore Medical Center 12 years ago. Today, 12 years ago, we want our daughter to give life to someone else. And they donated her liver. And today, someone is alive because that family, along with this kidney recipient, gave life through her liver. And, uh, and to me, that's an impacting, that's a powerful story out in the community. It seems like you get very personally connected to the people that you meet. Do you try not to, though? Do you try to say, this is my job, I can't have this impact me this way all the time? I try to do that, but uh, the reality is that doing this type of work, I don't see it as a career. It's really, it's really a call. And so to me, this is a call. This is what I was called to do in life. And that's why it's emotional. That's why I get excited about it. That's why I um, plea with everyone who's listening uh, to really consider the gift of life to organ and tissue donation. Leo, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for promoting organ and tissue donation via this interview.
Thank you. Leo Trevino heads Montefiore Medical Center's Organ and Tissue Donation Initiative. Trevino doesn't have to do anything to sell Clarence Morin on the benefits of organ donation. Morin wouldn't be alive today if it weren't for a heart transplant. I met with Morin at his home in the Bronx to talk about his new lease on life. I could do nearly everything, but not as, as much as I want to because of the medications and I have to take my time with like exercising. But other than that, you live a normal life. How many medications do you have to take? It's about 20. Three of the most important ones is one that called uh, the Prograf, Celsef, and Pregnizone. And here you have them all laid out for yes. you in this little case? Of course, yes, I have all laid off like from, from Monday to Friday. Every Friday we do the medication changes. Do you know what they all do for you? I could tell you exactly, like the, the three that I call the main ones, they are for um, rejection, uh, to let the um, heart function very good with the organ, I mean the body, and that's it. Rejection, your body could reject this new heart. Yes, it's, uh, the white corpuscles could just go against the, the organ because it's not the body own. It could reject the heart like if you get a fever, the cold, um, any sort of unusual thing. Have you had any scares? Uh, no, not really. Never, never had no scares and everything is just working fine. How long ago did you have the transplant? Uh, June 16th, the day after Father's Day. Not long ago at all. No, and I, they sent me home on the 4th of July. They said, I'm doing very good. I did three biopsies, no, four biopsies. The first one was a little scary, but the other three is just zero to negative. Why did you need the transplant? I had a, a rheumatic fever, and I did um, two valve replacements in 2000. The heart went weak. They put, a, they put an LVAD. LVAD is something that helped the heart work build up back all your other organs, and I had it for approximately a year, and then the heart was to do the heart transplant. How did you feel before the transplant? Were you lethargic? Were you struggling to get around? Oh, yes. I couldn't even walk three feet. You see, what really happened is that we pray a lot, and then we have the best doctors. So everything was just a miracle. You had this done right here in the Bronx? Yes, in Montefiore. Tell us about this heart, this new heart that you have. The new heart is just right. I never had no problems. And they say it's one of the best working organs that they ever put into me. Where did this organ come from? Oh, I could tell you the age and probably where it come from. The age is 30, come from Maryland. 30 years old, comes from Maryland. You don't know, though, who donated this heart. Uh-uh. It's only up to a certain thing that um, certain answers they give you. They keep the balance for themselves. So it's privacy. They're trying to keep yeah, the, the yes. identity of this person private. Yes. Now, if I want, I could just write a thank you letter and just give the hospital. And this hospital will give another hospital and et cetera, et cetera. Do you want to know, though, Clarence? Do you want to know who this heart belonged to? Knowing who the heart belongs to, not really, because I will feel sorry that you know, if this person got a family, somebody loving, you know. I really wouldn't like to know, and I would like to know. You know, I would like to know to say thank you, but I really wouldn't like to know. This person was relatively young. 
died so young, 30 years old. Do you think about that? Exactly, I do. I do think about it. It's kind of, you know, to know that this person just started to live and this is what happened to them, you know. But then again, uh, what do you say? It's uh, just that God knows what he's doing, you know. That's all I could say, you know. But this person gave you a new lease on life. Yes, it gave me, that this person gave me back life. Things I couldn't do, I'm doing it right now, you know. I couldn't walk, I couldn't sit down, I couldn't even go to the shower. My wife have to shower me, my daughter have to see about my medications. Yep. How old are you? I'm 53 years old. 53 years old with the heart of a 30-year-old, huh? <laughs> it's kind of exciting, right? But only to a certain extent, you know, when you think about the other person, it's kind of little, you know. I have to ask a crazy question, though. Do you feel any younger? <laughs> uh, I don't like to say that for my wife, but I can say, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I do feel, you know, you feel much younger. <laughs> Did you ever have any concerns that this new heart would change you, Clarence, the person? Um, no, I never really think about it, but um, my wife says that she loves me more. <laughs> Yeah, but I never really think about it like that, you know. I just feel like I'm, I'm the same person, same person from day one, you know. I don't think that the organ will change me. Did you have to go for counseling at all before you had the heart transplant to get an understanding or just to ease your fears? Never, because um, I met people who did the transplant and they tell me how they feel. Good friends, like, you know, we in the hospital and people that did the organ come and talk to me. And, you know, I explained back to them and we never had no counseling. I was expecting what I got. Were you scared going in? Were you afraid that you would never come out? Never. Because my daughter and my wife, we always prayed. We had a plan. The said morning that my doctor called me and said, Mr. Martin, we got your transplant. I said, okay. My daughter came in, my wife came. We never even... She had no tears, really, is that when they closed the elevator door, I saw my daughter's eyes was filled, and then my eyes were a little filled, but that was it. It was just a good God plan that we had. Do you remember waking up from the surgery? Yeah, after 11 and a half hours or something like that, I woke up. When I woke up, the nurse said to me, can you say something, please, Mr. Martin? I said, I love you and thank you, Jesus. And then over time, the doctor said that, hey, he's breathing on his own, you know. In about two hours' time, I had a two, two glass of jello. <laughs> so it really, I don't know, it's really a, a God plan and a good job with the doctors. That's pretty miraculous. You were hungry just a couple of hours after having a new heart installed yeah. your body. Yeah, yeah they, told, they tell me, they say, I'm a, I'm a miracle. Yeah. They say other people uh, have to, with the medication, the new transplant will take about a week to learn to eat. They would be nauseous, you know. I wasn't like that. Everything was just right. What kinds of questions do you get from people besides me about your new heart? Oh, you get questions like, how do you feel to have somebody else's heart? How do you feel about moving around? How do you feel about the medication? Well, I'm, in 2000, I am accustomed to a lot of medication because of the valve transplant. So it's nothing to me. You know, and they stop. The majority of the, that medication, so just a little few on this one, you know. So I'm kind of used to it. I would imagine you must have a scar 
on your body? Oh, three big scars. Three times I did it, and it, I had to open up my chest three times. From the throat up, straight to the navel. What do you think about when you look at those scars in the mirror? Again, I'm a customer that it's three times. So, but this one is a better, a neat, more neat job, and it's closing up very, very, very good, it, which it's already closed up, and it looks good. Do you ever just, Clarence, hold your hand on your heart and feel it beat? Oh, yeah. There's something I never used to feel. I used to feel the motion going, psh, psh, you know, like that, and now you're feeling a real heart. I even feel the pause in my feet, you know, in my hand. I feel strange to know where I have a real heart that pumps in the blood. Let me ask you about organ donation. What message would you want to send out there to people who maybe have never filled out their organ donor card? Oh, it's a beautiful thing to let somebody live a little longer, but then live a new life. Because I always say that uh, somebody who really cares, they will donate the organ. Because as for instance me, when I had to fill out um, for my surgery, they asked me uh, if I'll donate um, any organs. I said, you could take anything you want, just to make somebody else feel good. Because when you die, you go with nothing. And if you, the organs that you have could help somebody to live a longer life and a better life, I don't see anything wrong with it. Clarence, I thank you so much. You're welcome, sir. Bronx resident Clarence Morin received a heart transplant last month. He's already back home, enjoying life with his wife and daughter. The beat goes on. When the first organ transplant took place 50 years ago, it seems more like science fiction. But today, transplantation couldn't be any more real. Educate yourself about it. Make a decision that's right for you. We hope we gave you some helpful information this morning. I'm George Boraki. My thanks to producer Rashida Winfield. Have a great weekend.